0: Once Upon a New York Times, A Cautionary Tale This is the final act in a sad, sorry saga of a once great newspaper. Once upon a time, there was a paper of record. They proudly claimed that moniker because they valued journalism. They valued getting the facts before broadcasting the headline. For decades, they built the most trusted newspaper in the land, and that newspaper was called the New York Times. Then came the internet. A gaggle of hoodie-wearing, flip-flop dude bros moving fast and breaking things nearly put the Times and other outlets out of business. Now anyone could have a website and report the news they wanted, like Matt Drudge, whose news shaped opinion rather than informed the public. The times rallied and evolved, becoming the most-read newspaper online, where they have remained since the turn of the millennium. But clickbait changed the way news was delivered. Now the headlines had to bring eyeballs to websites. The more outrageous the headline, the more likely the clicks, and the more ad revenue from Google and other traffic-based ad servers. A couple of those dude bros invented social media around 2006, But Twitter especially threatened the gray lady. Users can log on and get breaking news faster than reporters or editors could produce or fact check it. The New York Times warned us of the danger of that kind of fast moving river of information, opinion, and news, which would eventually be renamed as misinformation and disinformation. Their opportunity to smack down Twitter hard came in 2013. I sent my first tweet in 2006 from my trio before the iPhone was released. By 2013, I was a heavy Twitter user, thinking of myself as an early adopter and savvy, self-made citizen journalist. After the Boston Marathon bombing, the FBI asked the public for help finding the bombers on the run.
1: Today, we are enlisting the public's help to identify the two suspects. After a very detailed analysis of photo, video, and other evidence, we are releasing photos of these two suspects. They are identified as Suspect 1 and Suspect 2. They appear to be associated. Suspect 1 is wearing a dark hat. Suspect 2 is wearing a white hat. Suspect 2 set down a backpack at the site of the second explosion just in front of the Forum restaurant. We strongly encourage those who were at the Forum restaurant who have not contacted us yet to do so. As you can see from one, of the, from one of the images, suspects one and two appear to be walking together through the marathon crowd on Boylston Street in the direction of the finish line. That image was captured as they walked on Boylston in the vicinity of the intersection with Gloucester Street. As you can see, the quality of the photos is quite good, but we will continue to work on developing additional images to improve their identification value. Further, on FBI.gov, we have photos of the suspects. The photos and videos are posted for the public and media to use, review, and publicize. For clarity, these images should be the only ones, and I emphasize the only ones, that the public should view to assist us. Other photos should not be deemed credible, and and they unnecessarily divert the public's attention in the wrong direction and create undue work for vital law enforcement resources.
0: With this powerful tool at our disposal, most of us took to the internet to find the bombers based on fuzzy images sent out far and wide. A friend who had been a real journalist in the 1970s sent me a story on Reddit that supposedly tracked down one of the bombers, a missing student from Brown University. But that story would turn out to be false. That student, Sunil Tripathi, had committed suicide a month earlier. It was both a scandal, that we'd all rush to judgment to smear an innocent man, not to mention putting his already grieving family through yet more suffering, and an opportunity for old media to warn the public of new media when it came to spreading a lie far and wide. As a participant in this scandal, I was interviewed in this time story for podcast listeners a headline, Should Reddit Be Blamed for the Spreading of a Smear? When a picture of Sunil Tripathi was posted on Reddit alongside an image of suspect number two in the aftermath of the Boston Marathon bombings, it fueled speculation that they were the same person. By J. Caspian Kang, July 25, 2013. Quote The removal of Help Us Find Sunil Tripathi was noted by several people in the media, including Sasha Stone, who runs an inside Hollywood website called Awards Daily. At 10.56 p.m., Stone tweeted, I'm sure by now the FBI press office is looking into this dude, and included a link to the Facebook page. Seven minutes later, she tweeted, Seconds after I sent that tweet, the page is gone off of Facebook, if you can cache it. Several journalists began tweeting out guarded thoughts about Sunil's involvement. If the family had taken down the Facebook page, the reasoning went, it must mean that the Tripathies had seen their missing son in the grainy photos of suspect number two, end quote. And this, quote, Many of the reporters who helped spread Sunil's name apologized in one form or another. Kevin Galliford, the TV journalist in Connecticut, told me he apologized directly to Akil. Sasha Stone wrote a heartfelt blog post apologizing for her tweet on Awards Daily. Marcus DiPaolo, a freelance journalist who happened to be on the ground in Cambridge and Watertown during the early mornings of April 19th, posted a set of journalistic guidelines that he hoped would help his fellow Redditors exercise more caution in the future. As of this printing, DiPaolo's guidelines are still the most upvoted comment in the thread, end quote. Caspian closes his piece this way, quote, To blame Reddit is to pretend that the platform is the problem. A hive mind may have existed on Reddit during the early days when the community was small and self-selecting. But now that traffic has reached 70 million visitors a month, asking Reddit, whatever that might mean, to police its own news content seems to misunderstand the problem. The sunil Tripathi debacle isn't really a new media problem, much as those who think of themselves as members of the old media might like to see it that way. This is what media is now a constantly evolving interaction between reporters working for mainstream companies, journalists and writers compiling and interpreting news for online outlets, and thousands of individuals participating on their own in the gathering and assembling and disseminating of information. It's a tremendously messy process, at times thrilling and deeply useful, and at times damaging in ways that can't be anticipated. How it all gets straightened out how some rules might be codified, is going to take a while. End quote. I learned a hard lesson from that episode, so now I think before sending out tweets or writing headlines. The New York Times seemed to see itself beyond reproach back then, but they were also about to learn their lessons the hard way. The Resistance By the time Trump was elected, Twitter had morphed into a Greek chorus and an arena for public shaming. The New York Times reporters were under constant surveillance to ensure they did not normalize a fascist. Reporters like Maggie Haberman were routinely and savagely bullied for normalizing Trump. Their response was to capitulate all too often to Twitter hysteria. Twitter users would set the narrative and the Times was not just expected but mandated to follow it. I found this out, along with so many others, in the summer of 2020 when we watch the New York Times and other outlets lose their credibility to make nice with Twitter. The proof that the Times no longer prioritized information and truth above the needs of fragile, entitled, spoiled people on their own staff and on Twitter was the controversy over the infamous Tom Cotton essay Send in the Troops. To date, their withering, humiliating, legacy-ruining statement precedes the essay as though they can't trust their readers, they can't trust their reporters, and they can't trust themselves. For podcast listeners, the stories send in the troops. With the editor's note, June 5, 2020, quote, After publication, this essay met strong criticism from many readers and many Times colleagues, prompting editors to review the piece and the editing process. Based on that review, we have concluded that the essay fell short of our standards and should not have been published. The basic arguments advanced by Senator Cotton however objectionable people may find them, represent a newsworthy part of the current debate. But given the life-and-death importance of the topic, the senator's influential position, and the gravity of the steps he advocates, the essay should have undergone the highest level of scrutiny. Instead, the editing process was rushed and flawed, and senior editors were not sufficiently involved. While Senator Cotton and his staff cooperated fully in our editing process, the op-ed should have been subject to further substantial revisions, as is frequently the case with such essays, or rejected. For example, the published piece presents as facts assertions about the role of cadres of left-wing radicals like Antifa. In fact, those allegations have not been substantiated and have been widely questioned. Editors should have sought further corroboration of these assertions or removed them from the piece, The assertion that police officers bore the brunt of the violence is an overstatement that should have been challenged. The essay also includes a reference to a constitutional duty that was intended as a paraphrase. It should not have been rendered as a quotation. Beyond those factual questions, the tone of the essay in places is needlessly harsh and falls short of the thoughtful approach that advances useful debate. Editors should have offered suggestions to address those problems. The headline, which was written by the Times, not Senator Cotton, was incendiary and should not have been used. Finally, we failed to offer appropriate additional context, either in the text or the presentation, that could have helped readers place Senator Cotton's views with a larger framework of debate." Quote. Here you can plainly see how they negotiate the truth. They insist we all accept the lie that the police didn't suffer and that there weren't roving bands of mostly white agitators who were breaking windows and burning buildings. And even the truth must be adjusted and softened for overly sensitive readers. None of that happened. They were mostly peaceful protests against the racist Nazi police and their president. Got it. It is the height of irony that Barry Weiss, who resigned at the Times after the Cotton Essay, built the Free Press that now exposes the New York Times behaving exactly like Twitter back in 2013 and getting the story so wrong in reporting that Israel bombed a hospital in Gaza. For podcast listeners, a headline at the Free Press showing how many times the New York Times changed its headlines. It starts with Israeli strike kills hundreds in hospital, Palestinians say. And then at least 500 dead in blast at Gaza hospital, Palestinians say. And the headline, when the misinformation comes from inside the house. Scores of Palestinians are dead after a blast late yesterday at a hospital in Gaza, a horrific tragedy. And then a tweet by Yasha Monk that says, quote, CNN, BBC, and New York Times all sent push alerts blaming Israel for killing hundreds of civilians at the hospital. If, as now looks likely, it is confirmed that the cause was a misfired rocket from Islamic jihad. Will they send push alerts correcting the original story? Of course not, end quote. And a tweet by Constantine Kissin. The people who spent the last many years demanding censorship of misinformation and disinformation have spent 24 hours spreading horrific and damaging unverified allegations pushed by a terrorist organization as the truth on their gigantic platforms, quote. Plenty of people are still hedging on this story, as though Israel would lie about something like this and make themselves look even worse before the eyes of the world than they already do. Maybe if I hadn't been the subject of bad journalism back in twenty thirteen, I might have been more sympathetic to the New York Times per Nate Silver's suggestion, quote, as someone who frequently criticizes the media, I'd just say you should be approximately ten times more sympathetic to media F ups on stories that are unfolding in real time. It's literally ten times harder. To be less sympathetic media outlets Need to be a lot better about admitting when they effed up though, end quote. But we should not go easy on them, not for one second. They're the paper of record. We want them on that wall. We need them on that wall. Kenosha and the False Narrative After the shooting of Jacob Blake in Kenosha, Wisconsin, Twitter spread the lie that Jacob Blake was unarmed and only there to break up a fight. The city would burn to the ground before they corrected it, not to mention how many lost their businesses and even their lives, due to a broken media that capitulated to Twitter. Their coverage then, like now, took a side. They had to give their readers confirmation that they were all on the right side fighting against the Nazis, defined then as the nation's police force in the Trump administration, defined now as Israel. Here are some examples of their headlines from August of 2020. For podcast listeners, headlines. Trump barely mentions Kenosha in speech, only refers to violence. Enough is enough. New racial justice leaders rise in Kenosha. Officer implicated in Kenosha shooting is on the department's bike squad. Justice Department to open investigation into Kenosha shooting. Joe Biden will meet with Jacob Blake's family in Kenosha on Thursday, his campaign says. Protesters gather in D.C. shortly before Trump's speech to denounce the shooting of Jacob Blake. This was all by design i didn't know it at the time no one did it would not be until after biden was installed that it became apparent they'd done it all to take down trump there were invisible hands everywhere guiding the new york times and other outlets to support any narrative that put the blame anywhere else but on trump from time quote protecting the election would require an effort of unprecedented scale As 2020 progressed, it stretched to Congress, Silicon Valley, and the nation's state houses. It drew energy from the summer's racial justice protests, many of whose leaders were a key part of the liberal alliance. And eventually it reached across the aisle into the world of Trump-skeptical Republicans, appalled by his attacks on democracy." When the New York Times and other outlets aligned to oppose and resist the election of Trump, When they were expected to parrot the party line, whether it came from Democrats, their lawyers, their donors, or social media users, they destroyed their legacy. There will be no happily ever after for the New York Times, and there shouldn't be. If we keep up the pressure to hold them to their own high standard, perhaps we can salvage some of what they once were. When Hamas attacked Israel, I found Twitter too horrific and chaotic to follow. I turned to the New York Times instead because, at least at first, they were reporting the events as they unfolded. I was grateful then that they existed. But, as with every news event now, sooner or later they had to push the chosen narrative. Not just because the left is their bread and butter, but because most of those hired are true believers and will push the narrative regardless. The story of the hospital bombing was a sober reminder that it's not possible to trust any single outlet for news now, not even the paper of record. Even people on their own side now, on the left, are shattered by this blunder by The Times. For podcast listeners, a tweet by actress Jessica Chastain, quote, Is there any place that I can get accurate news? We are living in a dark time when giants like the New York Times and the Washington Post rush to conclusions in trying to keep pace with social media. Social media is not a credible news source. Please, folks, guide me to a place where I can get well-sourced information, end quote. The truth can be found. You just have to look around a little and check each outlet's version of the story to find it. Had I never done that, I would never have known about this little scene video I've posted here many times. It's of a beloved community business owner named Sue in Kenosha, who lost her 100-year-old mattress store in the riot.
1: Now to the story of a man who risked his own life to save a friend's business during the violent clashes in Kenosha. He was beaten by looters, and today CBS2 investigator Megan Hickey was there when that man was reunited with the owners, whose store he tried to save.
2: This was a 100-year-old building, a family-run mattress store. For one man who risked his life defending it, it was much more than that. It's hard. This is hard. She surveyed the damage up close for the first time today. Every inch of Sue Moniz and Keith McCarty's mattress store is destroyed. But they've had something else on their minds. Well, someone else.
0: He's he's teeny, but he loves fiercely, and he's just my hero. I'm sorry, sir. I'm very sorry about that, man.
2: Armed with nothing but a fire extinguisher, 70-year-old Robert Cobb tried to defend his friend Sue's shop from a group of arsonists and looters Monday night. They just threw a bottle at this guy. The whole thing was caught on camera. We want to warn our viewers it's difficult to watch. Fresh from a double bypass surgery, Robert was standing guard until someone punched him so hard in the face that he collapsed to the sidewalk.
0: I, I can't. I, I can't. And I can't even think about how bad it could have been.
1: I mean, that's bad enough. They broke his jaw.
2: Robert playfully dodged our cameras most of the day because he said he wants the story to be about how much the Kenosha community loves his friend Sue. It's funny because Sue said the story is about Robert's bravery. Either way, their reunion was beautiful. Hey now. Robert's jaw was broken in two places and he went in for surgery this afternoon. This is my rock, my inspiration. Even though their shop is rubble, we
1: will rebuild.
2: And- these owners say they found a silver lining in the violence and destruction that's ravaged their community, and that break in the clouds is a lifelong friend. This is
1: stuff. I mean, it's devastating. It was my livelihood, a lot of memories, a lot of, you know,
0: but this but is stuff. I can't replace that man. That man's not just stuff.
2: Almost three days later, the building is still smoking.
0: Not many cared about this story, because carried about it supposedly meant you valued property over people. But I keep posting it, because it is an example of good journalism. Somehow this local news channel managed to do what journalists used to do. Get the story. Don't take sides. Tell the truth. Thank you for listening to my Substack sasha and remember to thine own self be true. I've
3: seen people destroyed, and I think it's very unfair. Some of the media outlets that they deal with the fake news fake fake news I think it's a disgrace an absolute disgrace, but I don't think they care. Well, first of all, one of the reasons I'm here today is to tell you the whole Russian thing. That's a ruse. It's a ruse. I own nothing in Russia. I don't have any deals in Russia. Russia is fake news. I just see many, many untruthful things. The press has become so dishonest. The public doesn't believe you people anymore. You have a lower approval rate than Congress. And I've been hearing more and more about a thing called fake news.
0: Fake, fake news.
3: I've seen people destroyed. And I think it's very unfair. Some of the media outlets that I deal with, the fake news. Fake, fake news. I think it's a disgrace, an absolute disgrace. But I don't think they care. I'll tell you something. I don't mind bad stories. I can handle a bad story better than anybody, as long as it's true. But I'm not OK when it is fake. It's all fake news. I mean, it's a story after story after story. We're not going to let it happen again. Public gets When I go to rallies, they want to throw their placards to CNN Here's the thing I want to see an honest press I want to see an honest press I want to see an honest press It's so important to see an honest press I want to see an honest press I want to see an honest press But our nation's reporters will not tell you the truth So I'll go over just some of them MSNBC, you are fake news The New York Times, you are fake news CBS, NBC, ABC, BBC, LA Times. you are fake news, the Washington Post, you are fake news, CNN, very fake news, Politico, AP,
2: Hotpot. Buzzfeed,
3: failing pile of garbage, and you know, I've been hearing more and more about a thing called fake news, fake, fake news, I've seen people destroyed, and I think it's very unfair, some of the media outlets that I deal with the fake news, fake, and, fake news, I think it's a disgrace, absolute disgrace but I don't think they care care